Welcome to Lessons in Life and Love with Rihanna Milne, where we show you how to have the positive mindset for success in all life areas. It's time to have the life you desire and the love you deserve. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 3, Show 73 of the Lessons in Life and Love podcast. I'm your host and global life and love coach, Rihanna Milne, coming to you every Friday on the LessonsInLifeAndLove.com website, on my app, Lessons in Life and Love on the go, and on your favorite podcast platform. I'm all about helping you transform your life in all areas into one that you're passionate about and to help you attract and have the love that you deserve. You know me, I'm on a mad mission to change the way the world loves. So you'll learn how to have emotionally healthy, evolved and conscious love and how to avoid toxic, painful and traumatic relationships which seem to be too prevalent today. It's time to help you create the life you desire and have the love you deserve. So if you have a personal question, I invite you to meet with me for a life and love transformation discovery session and assessment this week. Just sign up at my website, rihannamilne.com. So let's dive in, love angels and transformers. Today, we have a very interesting guest, Dr. John Shinnener. He coaches men to perform at their peak from boardroom to the bedroom, and he'll be covering questions like, what is the man box culture, and how does this affect men in relationships, or how men socialize impacting the divorce rates today, what pieces of masculinity are effective and which are not, and what does it mean to be successful in a romantic relationship. All this and more on Lessons in Life and Love. Let me tell you about this amazing man in front of us who has graced our podcast today. My good friend, Dr. John Schinner is here with us and he coaches men to perform at their peak from the boardroom to the bedroom. Dr. John hosts a podcast to help men evolve, The Evolved Caveman. He graduated from US Berkeley with a PhD in educational psychology. He was an expert consultant for the Pixar's Inside Out, great show. And he's spoken to organizations such as Stanford Medical Schools, Chinese entrepreneurs in heavy China, US Berkeley, Kaiser Permanente, Sutter Health and UPS. He's been featured in national media such as US News and World Report, Reader's Digest, and Self Magazine. Dr. John has worked with Army Rangers, Navy SEALs, first responders, entrepreneurs, and executives from dozens of Fortune 500 companies. He wrote the award-winning book, How Can I Be Happy? His areas of expertise range from high performance to stress management, to positive psychology, to anger management, to creating happy, thriving relationships. Over 10,000 people have taken this online anger management course. You wanna make sure you check in with Dr. John at visitguidetoself.com or theevolvedcaveman.com to learn more. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I, I get stressed just hearing my bio. <laughs> it's fabulous. Maybe more embarrassing. Oh, thanks. Really? And I also heard you have one of the top 10 podcasts. So that is amazing. Something yeah, that I'm a lot striving for. Good for you. That's amazing. I'm so glad to see men helping men out there because there's so much to teach them. Let's get down and dirty with your stuff today. Let's talk about how men are socialized and what you call the man box culture. The, the man box culture was an idea that originally came into being through Paul Kivel in Oakland, California. And he was working with predominantly African-American students and he wanted to get more into what they thought about what it meant to be a man. 
And so he started asking middle school and high school students the simple question, what does it mean to be a man? And he would get answers like to be invincible, to be invulnerable, to be self-reliant, to be courageous, to provide for your family, to dominate women, to not back down. And so there was themes that kept emerging. And then what we found out is the, the man box is develops over time. And it starts really early, like the age of four or five. And mm -hmm. we've got some research to show this, that when you're just in kindergarten, someone in a group of boys might say something like, I really like Sally. I'm going to go give her a flower. Mm -hmm. And the alpha male in that group will say something like, dude, don't be such a girl. Yeah. It starts really early with this identification of whatever's feminine is bad. Mm -hmm. And so we learn pretty quickly as you're growing up through middle school and high school that if you show too much fear or sadness, someone's going to say something like, don't be a bitch, don't be a little girl, don't be a pussy, forgive my, my language, yeah. Yeah, uh, languages on the show. And Speak then if you freely. Show, and so you find out really quickly, I don't like to be humiliated like that. I'm not going to show that anymore. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, if you show too much love, joy, romanticism, excitement, flamboyance, someone will say something like, don't be so gay, don't be a fag. Right. And then you jump back into the man box. So what are we left with as men that we can publicly display without fear of humiliation? We're left with three emotions. You've got lust. She's so hot, I do her. Mm -hmm. We're left with stress. I'm so stressed because right. otherwise I'm busy and important. Or the, the big one, anger, some degree of anger, annoyance, frustration, irritation, rage. But so many, of, so many of our emotions as men, as adults, come out through the anger lens. I mean, we know depression, for example, comes out as irritability. Yes. And, you know, I've seen, you know, we often talk about anger as a secondary emotion. And I think it, it often is. It doesn't always have to be. But that means that it comes quickly on the heels of another emotion, which could be something like guilt or shame or embarrassment or anxiety. Because that's how they've been taught to emote that, to show that right. feeling that anger is okay because it's a man thing. Yeah. And also the thing that's funny about anger is the dynamic makes it, if I'm angry at you, then I get to externalize all blame onto you. So none of it's my fault. It's all your fault, which is really handy because then I don't have to look at myself. Mm -hmm. And when this little boy grows up and becomes into a love relationship, how is this impacting the love relationships and the partner they're with? Well, then what we find is that, you know, the, the job relationship for husband has morphed dramatically in the last really? 50 years. For so sure. as women got into the workforce, they started earning more money. They didn't need the husband as much for that financial partnership. And so what happened is instead of a largely financial partnership, which was what marriage originally became or what it started as, women started expecting more. They, yes, they wanted some financial partnership and they wanted a lifelong romantic partner. So then they wanted someone that was communicative, supportive, empathetic, a good listener, someone that was emotionally aware. And the problem is nobody told us. How to do it. <laughs> the job description changed. No one said, hey, men, like it's all different now. And the women kept on with this, you know, expectation. And now, you know, in the U.S., it's about women account for about 75% of the divorces that are initiated. Biggest reason I hear is I can't connect with my husband. Well, also the lack of partnership. So now these women are out working a lot of hours and doing the kids and doing the home. So all this burden has fallen on them over the years. And if mm -hmm. the husband doesn't step up to be a real partner in the house... 
then it's almost like, well, I have another child. It's right. easier without him if he's not helping me. And then there's all these expectations. We'll do all of that, ladies, and then also be the sexual siren. And women are burnt right. out. And we know that even you know the distribution of household chores hasn't changed that much in the past 50 years either. Fortunately. On average, women still do about 90% of the, the household chores. Yeah. And um, that's so it's been a it's, problem in happiness it's levels. It's interesting to me, and, and I don't mean to slam men too much. I think you know what I want to convey is that all this stuff happened. It's not, we didn't choose it. We didn't choose to be socialized this way. So it's not our fault. Men, right. it's not your fault I agree. that you were socialized this way. However, I would argue that it is our responsibility as men who are trying to evolve to learn new tools, to learn new ways of communication, to add on some new aspects to that sort of traditional um, idea of masculinity. Mm -hmm. I heard Terry Real talk about, Dr. Terry Real helps men as well with trauma. And he was talking about how millennial men have really stepped up and changed versus baby boomer men. Mm -hmm. And I'm part of the baby boomer generation. And they said they still want the women to cook, clean, do the house, do the errands. Baby boomer men have not evolved at all. But the millennial men have seen their moms suffer or through divorce or be the mom dad in the house and do everything. So they learned to pitch in earlier. They were socialized a little bit more. Now I have two daughters, 36 and 37. And I do see the men changing diapers, like baby boomer men would not change diapers, help with the cooking or the food shopping. You know, they are really trying to be a little bit more partners within the home, which is making for happier relationships. If those men are stepping up, just commend my son-in-laws for for doing that and seeing, yes, my girls are working. My girls do need help with their kids. And and to me, it's it's always about, you know, especially for the women out there, but also for the men, you want to reward the behavior you want to see. If you catch your husband changing a diaper, express gratitude. You know, thank you so much, honey, for changing that diaper. I really appreciate it or taking out the trash or doing the dishes. And it goes both ways. I mean, I I think that- That's stress, it goes both ways, John, because how many times are women, thanks for cooking dinner, babe, you know, or cleaning the house today. It's rare. I'm thinking about me and my fiance and like, I don't cook that much because when I do, it's significantly worse. And, you know, she's just quite a good cook. So I'm, you know, struggling to catch up there. But, you know, we were talking in- uh, just a little bit ago when I interviewed you for my podcast that, you know, I think a lot of this comes back to that idea of the fixed versus growth mindset. And you're talking about the baby boomer men. And I think a lot of them have that fixed mindset around these issues. Like I don't need to change here or I can't change here. This I've been doing this. I don't know how to do this. Yeah. I, yeah. And so the learned helplessness really serves them. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know how to do this. I, I'm going to screw it up. As I was growing up, I mean, we grew up watching Ozzy the Harriet and Leave it to Beaver, these very traditional happy housewife and the housewife dresses. And the mm-hmm. man went off to work and she was home and greeted him at the door with a martini. That's what we saw on television. And by the time we went to college, when we were 20, 19, 20, well, we came out, we're expecting you better have careers. Then you yeah. get married, you married your college sweetheart, you better have babies. And it's like, well, wait, why are we doing it all, all of a sudden? And it was a <laughs> huge burden. I agree with you. Absolutely. And I think on the men's side, it's interesting because I think we're sold a bill of goods on both sides in the sense of we're told, we're taught, we're socialized, get good grades, go to the best college you can, get a good job, make money, get married, have kids, get promoted, make more money, keep that going until you get to about 65, then retire, and then you'll be happy. 
Right. But no one taught us the skills of how to be happy and how to lead a meaningful life. They just As said, do along. this right. and you'll be good. And I can't tell you how many men I've worked with that are at the age of 50, 55. They're like, you know, John, I did it all right. Like I did everything right. I made a lot of money. I've got a beautiful wife and two kids. And my wife's irritated with me. She barely talks to me. I don't get any mm -hmm. sex. And my two teenage children are so angry at me because I've been working so hard for so many years. They don't even want the money. They, want, they wanted my attention. Right. And, you know, they're kind of like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. I mean, that's how we were socialized to grow up. You know, our culture is a big influence. I'm, again, going back to the millennials. I'm seeing a lot of the millennials, well, I don't want the nine to five job. I'm going mm -hmm. to create my job on the computer. And a lot of them are doing quite well with it. You know, I'm well, going to create this. I'm going to create that because they don't want that pigeonhole of thinking, okay, well, dad or mom went to that job for 50 years, retired, mm -hmm. lost their pension in 2008 after dedicating years to the company. I think about these kids seeing that whole mortgage crisis in the U.S. and their parents losing their retirement funds. And they're like, I don't want to be a part of that system or social security is going to go away. So why even pay it? Millennials are doing more project oriented work. They're not looking at, I'm going to go work at Ford for 30 years and yeah. then retire. But you know, I think part of this thing about the emotional awareness piece for men that's really interesting is I do see some baby boomers that are trying to learn and grow and communicate better. And I think the younger generations are a little bit better at some of this. I think there's a lot of work to be done on men's side. How is it impacting divorce? Do you have any statistics on that? Um, I don't. You know, I, other than that 75% where the women are initiating more of the divorces than the men. And, you know, one of the things that I often talk about with clients is this idea that, and this is from Terry Real also, the idea that most marriages don't end because of a major transgression like an affair. Most relationships end death by a thousand paper cuts. And I love mm. that phrase because it's very true that it's a gradual accumulation of little tiny hurts and resentments and being ignored and being late. And these things are so small. Little apologies, yeah, not much and, and forgiveness, think, not much you know, of the, uh, little niceties the, going yeah. on. One yeah. of the tools that I teach that I think really illustrates this quite well is the idea from John Gottman of bids for attention. And just this idea that we're always making bids for attention from our loved one, but also from everyone throughout our day, that we're really trying to get other people's eyes and ears to pay attention to us and what we're saying or what we're showing them or what we're sharing with them. Mm -hmm. And there's three ways you can respond to a bid. There's positive, neutral, and negative. So to go back to the stereotypical example, like let's say my fiance is cooking breakfast in the morning and I'm on my phone reading the news, which mm -hmm. I like to do. And she says, hey, honey, did I tell you about the Joneses? So if it's a positive response, I put down the phone, I look up and I say, no, honey, you didn't. What do you got? If it's a neutral response, I don't even notice that she said anything or I just ignore her. Mm. And then if it's a negative response, it's, I think of it as having a response with some annoyance. So it's, you know, put the phone down like, can't you say I'm reading the news? Yeah, Why are you yeah. always interrupting me? And it's funny because the negative responses are actually a little bit better than the neutral responses because at least we can go back and repair the negative response. The neutral response, I don't even know what happened, so I don't think about going to repair it. But the statistics on that show that in a successful, happy couple, those bids for attention are met on average positively about 83% of the time. 
a couple headed for separation or divorce, it's only about 34% of the time. Yes, that is so very, it's, it's, it's that daily interaction. Tiny, yeah, and it's, it's so tiny and minute. And if you think about it, just by an awareness of that idea, we, I think we can become more attuned to where are, where are these little paper cuts, these little hurts and slights and ignoring one another? Can I, I be more attuned to them in an effort to fill the positive bucket up and not fill the negative emotional bucket up. Yeah. And with our men today, where is masculinity being effective and what areas is it not? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because I, I think that I, I had a friend kind of criticize me on my podcast and saying that, you know, well, I wanted as the ideal version of masculinity to have these kind of weakened millennials that would cry at the drop of a hat and had no physical strength and couldn't fix a car. And I was like, well, you know, you're not listening to the podcast then. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I think that in my mind, I, I think that there should not be just one ideal form of masculinity, which is kind of the one that were pitched in the movies growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, huge physical strength, tremendous courage, very stoic, no emotional range whatsoever. No maybe crying. A smile cry. and yeah. anger. Yeah. Which doesn't help us out as men, as real men. But I think that there's a lot of good aspects of traditional masculinity. I think that it's, as always, it's kind of about moderation. So for instance, you know, if you take the traditional trait of masculinity of self-reliance, self-reliance in general is a good trait. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think of it on a one to 10 scale, I think that if you get too self-reliant, that's not a good thing because then we're not asking for help when we need help. Right. And you see that in men over and over and over. Depressed men unwilling to reach out for help. Drug addicted men unwilling to reach out for help. Alcoholic men unwilling to reach out for help. We see it all the time. God forbid if they ask for directions. Yeah, no, don't get lost dynamic, for right? an hour first. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think that a lot of these traditional pieces of masculinity are good in moderation. Physical strength, yes. I'm all for courage, providing for the family. But even providing for the family we can take to an extreme. If you take that to a 10 on a 10 point scale, then it's workaholism. One of your, you know, traumas. Yes, that's right. And, you know, then you're ignoring the very family that you initially was value, you were valuing so much to set out to work. I mean, so, you know, you set out to provide for the family over 20 and 30 years, you become a workaholic and then you neglect the very family, which you once valued so highly. So it it works against us in some instances. And then I think we want to look at or question, what do we want to add on to those traditional pieces of masculinity moving forward? And I think, and this is just my version of masculinity, but mm-hmm. I think we need to add things like emotional awareness. Emotional oh, awareness. definitely. That's what I teach my men and they love it yeah, because it, they're really- now trained the communication skills mm-hmm. that when they are nervous or fear-based that they can not, instead of lashing out at their partner, they can say, you know, I'm feeling this and I know I was triggered because my dad always said I couldn't share this or my dad told me I was wrong to think this way. Well, yeah, and, and here's the, the real problem as I see it. You know, I mentioned that man box culture at the beginning. So mm-hmm. if we're cut off from two thirds of the emotional spectrum and left with lust, stress, and some degree of anger, we're also cut off from the majority, if not all of the positive emotions. Well, happiness is by definition an emotional experience. Yeah. So one of the pieces of happiness is feeling more frequently all the positive emotions. If we're cut off from our own emotional part of our being, we're cut off necessarily from happiness. And I think that's the part that 
hurts me the most for all these men out there is they're working their ass off. They're trying hard to be good men. They're trying to you know, hang out with their family and spend time with their family, be good dads. And yet I would say most of them are at least not happy, if not downright miserable. And you have to ask, where is happiness coming from these days? And I usually say it's peace and balance. Mm-hmm. you know, and being able to have fun worked into your life, whatever you see fun to be, whether that's skateboarding or traveling or playing a round of golf, you have to schedule that part of your life in. It's really important. And I was wondering a little bit back, you said the men are working and really hard. And do they feel less masculine now that the women are out there? Or if a woman earns more of a paycheck than them, how is that affecting them, whether it's sexually, emotionally, I think in general, it can affect our masculinity without us even being aware of it. You know, I think if the woman's earning more than us in the partnership, that can erode at our masculinity, at our confidence. Mm -hmm. I definitely, if the man is out of work, the husband's out of work, and the wife is working and making money, I know that adds a lot to irritability and anger in most men. There's a, a book called Angry White Men that's about that very phenomenon, about these men I guess approximately my age, that were promised the American dream that if they worked hard and were men of integrity, that they could support their family and buy a house to live in. Right. And then somewhere along the line, they get laid off. And the wife who signed up for this idea that if I'm a good wife, then I can stay at home and raise the kids. Now they're forced to go out and work. And so I think everyone in that scenario is resentful and angry and it leads to all sorts of negative consequences. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it does vary in the three generations, the baby boomers, the ones Mm -hmm. in the middle, and then the millennials, where the millennials are like, yeah, everybody works. You know, how everybody just pitches in. I do think that so much of our identity as men is wrapped up in what we do. You know, Mm -hmm. we know how to be very well. And so a lot of our identity is wrapped up in what do we do for work? What do we do to make money? And I do think the millennials are a little bit more lax about that idea. Mm -hmm. I know a number of millennial coders that will kind of work one place for a year and a half, two years, you know, interview somewhere else, get a 10% bump in pay and arrange to take four weeks off. Yeah. And they're really good with that. And it's a pretty good lifestyle for them. Yeah. And they're not as attached to the things Mm -hmm. as we were growing up or it's like we need the house we need the two cars my daughter's there we don't need two cars we're good with one and i could afford it but it's like why so they're they're not into the things i even look Mm -hmm. at her she's not into labels she could care less and i wasn't either so maybe she didn't grow up with all that but a lot of them are choosing that simpler lifestyle australians come I think I'll live in U.S. for a little while. Yeah. I think I'll live in London for a little bit. When, you know, there's research out there that shows that happiness is more about our experiences than yes. what we purchase in terms of things. And I think that's definitely true. I, I also think a big part of that is learning to be grateful for what you have, because I, I think that can offset this idea of the hedonic treadmill which means that we adapt as humans to everything good or bad. We can adapt to losing our legs in a car crash, or we can adapt to winning the lottery, mm-hmm. good and bad ends of the scale. And we go back to that kind of happiness set point. So if you adapt to like getting a, a new car that you love, if you don't offset that hedonic treadmill idea, the new car doesn't add anything more to your satisfaction with life after pick a number, 12 weeks, 16 weeks. That's right. 
as soon as you start taking it for granted, it doesn't add anything more to your happiness. Whereas if you practice daily kind of coming up with new reasons to be grateful for this car, to appreciate this car, to love this car, it will continue to add satisfaction to your life. And the same principle can be applied to our relationships. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and this is one reason I teach my clients meditate every day, starting with the attitude of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And it's the simple things. Thank you for my health, my home, my children, their safety, their health. It's this gratitude of the everyday things so that you're more aligned to feel grateful about that and not need the things because it just seems like I don't really need that. Well, yeah, yeah. it's interesting as far as gratitude goes. I'll teach my clients there's three levels of gratitude. So the first one is gratitude for obvious things, you know, grateful for my mom, my dad, my health, yes. my kids, you know, what, the house that I live in, that kind of stuff. The second level is gratitude for less obvious things. I'm grateful to not be in pain. I'm grateful for the use of my legs. I'm grateful mm -hmm. for the ability to feed myself with a fork. And then the third level is gratitude for your biggest challenges in life. I'm grateful for my horrendous divorce because it gave me a chance to really practice emotional management skills and it taught me to be calm in some really volatile situations. You know, something and like move that. move on to meet your new lady. Right. Right. Without the, yeah, without the divorce, I wouldn't have met my fiance. That's right. And, that, and so I, I think that is kind of the, the next level piece where when you learn to be grateful for your biggest challenges in life, mm -hmm. that really kind of seals the deal on the gratitude level. And this is what we call part of the mindset for success. Uh -huh. Not looking at our challenges as devastations. It's like, what can I learn from this? What is this yep. trying to show me? Uh, what good can I come from the bad and move mm -hmm. on and learn from this lesson? It's part of the forgiveness spiritual cycle of, okay, yeah. we're supposed to be challenged. It's okay. It's the earth school. It's, it's now, all, all right. When you talk about forgiveness, do you go to like Fred Luskin's work? I just read a lot of spiritual masters. I've been doing it since I've been 18 years old. So whether it's something from a lesson of Tony Robbins or the Course right. of Miracles or Buddhism, there's just so many philosophies, but that daily gratitude and forgiveness piece is just so important to happiness. Yeah, forgiveness is huge, I think, as a daily practice to let go of those past resentments, angers, yes. you know, the rocks that we throw into our backpack and then carry around and then the backpack gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And just that idea that, hey, let's take the backpack off, turn it upside down and just dump it out. And let's <laughs> travel through the world a little bit lighter. For real, for real. So the men that you're referring to that grew up thinking that they were in this box, what to them does it mean to be successful in a romantic relationship? And it might be different for millennial male versus baby boomer male. Well, I, I think that to me, communication is a big piece of this and, yeah. and learning how to communicate, learning, you know, not to do name calling or insults, learning how not to criticize, learning how not to stonewall, learning how not to be contemptuous. And right. on the flip side, learning how to be appropriately assertive. So you just speak up for how you are feeling, which means that you know how you're feeling. That's kind of the foundation. Mm -hmm. um, and just saying, hey, honey, you know, it, it annoyed me a little bit. I don't know, when you didn't do the dishes last night and you said you were going to. Yeah, you promised me you would. And yeah. you let Instead me of, down. You know, you're so damn lazy. Why didn't you do the <laughs> dishes? You know, that yes. kind of thing. Um, and then I think also like knowing, having clarity on your emotional awareness is key in the sense of knowing where does that irritation or anger come from? Is this anger about this relationship? Is this anger about this person? Is this anger from my boss? Is this anger from being treated badly at the store? Like, where did this come from? Is it something that's accumulated over time that I need to address? Is it from the kids? 
And so having that awareness of particularly anger for men is a big one. And what are the emotions underneath that anger? And that's what we talk about, identifying what was the emotional trigger from any past trauma that this has come from. And once you can identify those childhood traumas, and it's like, okay, we talked about earlier, my boss yelled at me today, I didn't feel appreciated. I come home and my wife snapped at me, so I yelled at her. And it didn't originate from my wife, it really originated from me not feeling good enough on the job. So then yeah, he would voice, hon, mm -hmm. I'm sorry that I snapped at you. I had a bad afternoon, you know, my, yeah. my boss was on my case today, and it's not yeah, about and you. Can you on to that quickly like that, that's everything, mm -hmm. right? Um, That's right. Even if you have to come back later when you've calmed down and say, hey, honey, you know, I'm really sorry. I, I shouldn't have snapped at you. That was my stuff from work and I've just been stressed. That's right. That's part of quick to forgive and to by apologize. The way, it's, it's not a forgiveness. It's not an apology if you say, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. Um, so you got to be careful of how you phrase the apology. Mm -hmm. um, the example that I'll give is, you know, let's say your dad used to insult you and call you, I don't know, butthead a lot. And, you know, obviously he's an older man. So then fast forward 30 years, you're in the work environment. Your boss is an older man that maybe looks a little bit like your dad. And he says something about, you know, you butthead and mm -hmm. kind of joking and you blow a gasket and start raging. That didn't really have to do with the boss. That had to do with your past experiences. With That's your right. Dad. Which we call an emotional trigger. Yeah. And until the childhood trauma is healed from the brain and the body cells, those emotional triggers often come up in your adult relationships and mm -hmm. life, love, and business. If you're noticing that you or your partners are getting triggered by certain things or certain feelings continue to come up, or there's ongoing anxiety or the bouts of depression you can't seem to get over, those are all signs of unhealed past mm -hmm. trauma that we definitely can get you beyond. That's the good news. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all these are skills you can learn, which is the good That's news. Right. And you know, I, I think that one of the things is to be aware of in relationship, those little resentments, annoyances, hurts, slings and arrows, because, you know, for the men out there listening, a lot of times that's what's getting in the way of your good sex life. Oh, yeah. Women is <laughs> more resentful. That's going to shut down their libido, their sexual drive. And, you know, you got to be able to be aware of those and address them as they happen or shortly after they happen so that they don't accumulate. You don't want that bucket of negative emotion in your relationship to be filled up. Yes. You got to find ways to let that go, talk about it, address it, ideally with curiosity, compassion, and non judgment. And that alone will take a couple of years of work. Yeah, a lot of men were grown with don't talk back. Mm -hmm. And if they did, they would probably get beat from an angry father. So they just learned if I'm upset, I keep my feelings to myself. I don't say anything. And they, you know, which becomes passive aggressive. They shut down, they don't do anything. And then they might lash out at something later, causing a lot of havoc in relationships. The pattern I see is, you know, they, they're just stuffing, stuffing, stuffing those little irritations, little resentments, little hurts, little angers from all over. And they're like, oh, I should be able to deal with this. I can deal with this. I can take it. I'll just stuff it down. And they keep stuffing, stuffing, stuffing until eventually that bucket gets full and you get one little drop of irritation in there and they just go volcanic and blow yeah, up yeah. in anger on, you know, usually family because family is in a way safest. Like, you know, family's not going anywhere. So you also do Unless the family. woman chooses to divorce down the road right, because right, right. of all but the <laughs> explosions. General, right? Yeah. I think like you can't, if you do it at work, you're going to get fired quickly. That's right. Family, like you have more bandwidth. And, and I don't think this is conscious. I think it's unconscious. And mm -hmm. I think 
also the anger comes out at home more so because you're tired, you're stressed, and you're at, it's at the end of the day generally. And yeah. so, you know, you're dealing with kids that many men aren't taught well to parent. And so you come home from work after a long day and you just get more and more and more. And then eventually you just blow a gasket. Again, when we talked about women, the number one need to be into their sensual being is to feel safe mm-hmm. and nurtured and cherished. So if they're being yelled at by the explosive man, then they are checking out sexually. And a man is like, well, what's the matter with you? Mm-hmm. That does not help. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. I also hear from women, they don't even want to kiss their husband or hug their husband or touch their husband because they're afraid that if they do, that could be giving the green light to him that I want sex tonight. I think this has really changed. I was having a conversation this morning with someone since the whole Viagra epidemic. They want sex constantly. They're like the, what happened to the balance of it's not just sex, it's making love, hmm. right? What happened to that piece? And yes, I just want to get laid. These are what the, and the men are like, can we have sex? Can we have sex? It's almost like a, an obsessive compulsion, even men in their 60s plus. Oh. Years ago, that used to be granddad and who cared? He didn't care much yeah. if he was having sex. He was happy at his family, a home. He was retired and happy in life. Today, it's almost like this obsession. Am I having ED? Oh my God. Every other commercial on on television or radio is a senior man wearing if he he has ED that night. Well, and, and my mind goes a couple different ways with what you're saying. One of the ways is that, you know, I think one of the ways that we get educated as men about sex, particularly the younger generations, is via porn. Mm. And, you know, so that's an epidemic. As hard, pounding, whether fingers or your penis, you know, over 50% of women experience pain at times during sex, but most women are too afraid or don't feel safe enough to speak up about it with their partner. Another reason to get your partner to feel safe and secure, to ask questions before, during, after sex, hey, honey, how did that feel for you? Was that pleasure for you? Would you like it lighter, you know, harder, softer touch? What is it you would like? Because We've got to make them feel safe and secure. We've got to find out what it is they like and don't like. And men, I got to tell you, that can vary woman to woman and day by day. Yeah. According to her cycles, her Uh hormone levels. Very important you ask your partner, what's the best time of day for you? Mm-hmm. I think God kind of messed up a little bit. He spiked testosterone for the man in the morning, and most women are not sexual in the morning. They, uh-huh. they again, for a woman to feel sensual, she needs all her senses turned on. She's just waking up. She's like, okay, what do I have to do today? I got to get the kids ready. I got to. Her list is going in her head. She's not feeling sexy mm-hmm. at that moment. So, I mean, you have to talk to your partner what's the best time of day and have these real conversations. But going back to the porn has become such an epidemic Mm -hmm. and the women are so pressured thinking, you know, he wants me to be the porn star because the porn stars make all these crazy acts look normalized. And and then if their everyday lady is not doing these things, then they're disappointed in her. Well, I think it's important for the men to realize that that's fantasy. Yeah, but they don't. They think this is what all women do or all women should do. And and the other thing is, you know, to realize that we've got an epidemic of erectile dysfunction in the millennials because they've been watching so much porn that real life doesn't really match what they've been watching for years. Right. Um, The other thing that fascinates me on this topic, and I think is connected to this, is the vast majority of men that I've talked to all agree that they need emotional connection too to have really good sex. Good. 95% of the men that I've spoken to don't like to have one night stands because there's no emotional connection. 
now, are they you know, still pushing have, for it because many it's of them cultural? Well, I don't know. I think it depends. I think it depends on their age. You know, I think mm-hmm. 30 and above, they're kind of like, yeah, you know, I've, I've done it. Like I found it wanting. <laughs> I don't really do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's a good thing. I was talking to another expert on ED and he says it's alarming how much of the men in the, their 30s, their fertility rates are going way down. Mm-hmm. And they used to think the, they looked at the man second and the woman first. Now they're looking at the men first. Mm-hmm. What is the quality of the ejaculate? Can they get pregnant with their sperm? And the fertility issues in millennial men is skyrocketing. Yeah. That to me was alarming. Well, and the marriage rates have gone down with millennial men because from what I've read, the percentage of marriage quality men among millennials has dropped precipitously. You know, you mentioned the failure to launch scenario. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of young men that are hanging out in their parents' home, in their bedroom, smoking weed and gaming. Yes. And they're, I would argue they're too afraid to go out there and actually face the real world. I mean, anxiety is a big part of it, but the women of that age can't seem to find young men that have a good job, that are college educated, that have it's their true. lives in order. That's true. That's and think of all the young men that grew up with gaming or mm-hmm. being in their computers. So they don't have the socialization skills to go well, get that better it's, job. It's easier to sit in my bedroom and game. I don't have to face my anxiety. I don't have to face life. I can just distract myself and hide in here. And there's no challenge. There's yeah. no risk of correction. Yeah, it is a shame. I know the marriage rates have gone way down. Women are just excelling in the workplace because of it. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. I don't have a man, but at least I have a great job that I love. Well, it also means that women, I believe, are driving that hookup culture. Because if you can't find someone to have a relationship with, but you still have physical needs, they're like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll go on Tinder and I'll find someone to hook up with for the night and that's it. I think women are using sex to get love. They're hoping, well, if I should give them sex, he'll have a relationship with me. But I've, I've also heard a lot of young women or talked to a lot of young women that will have sex with men, but don't talk to them at all. Like they'll hook up with someone on Snapchat that they know, and there's no conversation outside of that. But, you know, are you waiting for him to talk to you? Like, I'm not really clear how that works. And maybe yeah, the whole not. hookup culture, I was watching that a couple of documentaries, very sad, just <laughs> like who are you having sex with tonight? It's like, I don't know. I don't forget her name. I don't even know her name. It's just like total hookup, like on spring break. Mm-hmm. These films, I'm like, are you kidding me? Wow, what happened to, again, making love? And the interviewer was very good asking women about like, did you really enjoy that? Mm. No, it was just something to do. Really, this is where sexual connection has gotten to mm-hmm. these days. It's very sad to see. How can we improve things, John? What do you think? Well, I think, you know, part of it's through podcasts and information like this. Part of it's through yes. documentaries. Part of it's through getting the word out. Part of it is through normalizing, I think, the fact that men feel things deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, And then teaching men the skills that they need to manage those emotions, to get better at communication, to understand that the way to a happy life, because I really am biased. I believe that every one of the 6.5 billion people on this earth have a goal of happiness. We, We go at it through different paths, power, wealth, sex, drugs, alcohol, mm-hmm. serving others, you know, whatever it is. But I think ultimately we're all trying to be happy. So if that's the case, then I think the more we can educate men that the way to happiness in, and success is by looking to do both at work and at home. It's not sufficient to just go out and make money. That's right. That's part of it. You need a sufficient amount of wealth, I would say, to meet your needs, far less than most people think. 
but happiness is largely about relationships. Getting reconnected and, you know, in I, relationships. It annoyed me at first because I'm an introvert and I'm like, shit, relationships. <laughs> All right, I got to go out and be more social. But it's true. I mean, it's, it's about relationships. It's about connection. And what's yeah. connection? Connection's emotion. That's right. Connection's sharing what you think, what you feel. It's not about how much money you make. It's not about what degrees you have. It's not about a lot of the stuff that we, we share about ourselves because it's safe. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, I think it does come down to that idea, which I think a lot of men hate the word, but vulnerability. It's a yeah. communication, vulnerability. Communication, sharing your feelings. Your feelings mm-hmm. are valid. Sharing them and not shutting down. And, and when you get there, it's fucking amazing. That's right. That's right. It is. It, it just is. Yeah. And these are all tools that people can learn. For sure. That's what we want to leave with that positive message. So if you were to share a summary statement, your words of wisdom, what would that be? My tagline is that if you don't have success and happiness at work and life, then you have none of it. Mm. So the goal to me is success and happiness, because I don't think happiness is generally in that word success for many of us. You need success and happiness at work and at home. Yeah, that's the goal. I agree. Please tell our listeners where they can find you and anything else you want to share with them. Sure. The podcast is The Evolved Caveman, and that's been a blast. I do interviews with people like Rihanna, and they educate me and the listeners. My websites are guidetoself.com and theevolvedcaveman.com. I also have a new one where we're working on couples retreats around the world called The Ultimate Relationship. And maybe I'll be at one of those. And maybe I'll be at one of yours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be awesome. I really do enjoy working with you, John. We're in a lot of the same wavelength. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to hear how you're really empowering and educated men out there. Us women applaud you for that. Uh, Thank you so much. And we need you and we need more of that. Ladies, make sure that you're channeling your men all about Dr. John and his fabulous podcast. And I thank you for gracing our Lessons in Life and Love show today. Thanks My again. Pleasure. Have a great day. Okay, Love Angels and Transformers, that's all we have time for today. I want to thank Dr. John Schinnener for being our guest today. We appreciate you sharing the love and the mission of helping us change the way the world loves by sending the show link to your friends and those you love and care about. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show and give it a five-star rating and comment on what you liked best about the show. And you can always leave a comment on what you'd like to learn on an upcoming podcast on the lessonsinlifeandlove.com website. Remember, you can reach out for help from me during the week at my website, rihannamilne.com. And while you're there, download my free ebook as well as free book chapters of Love Beyond Your Dreams, Break Free of Toxic Relationships to Have the Love You Deserve, and Live Beyond Your Dreams, From Fear and Doubt to Personal Power, Purpose, and Success. You're going to also want to take the four free love tests that are there under the quizzes section for couples and singles. Until then, as always, I am here to help you create the life that you desire and to have the love that you deserve. Have a blessed and fabulous week. We want to thank you for joining us on this episode of Lessons in Life and Love with Coach Rihanna Milne. Go to RihannaMilne.com for more resources. If you're really ready to take action to improve your life or love situation, apply now for a session with Rihanna. And remember, it's time to have the life you desire and the love you deserve.